May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of these scriptures. Amen. You may be seated. Do you ever get confused for someone else? You know, where someone will come up to you and they'll think that you're their friend and then you realize pretty quickly you don't know them. Um, I was at a clergy gathering for our United Methodist Pastors in Florida. I love to go to those because I get to see my buddies. I get to see my friends. And I pulled up into the parking lot and I rolled down my window. I, I saw my friend Tracy, right? I rolled down my window and I said, hey, pretty pastor lady. <laughs> you can guess what happened, can't you? It wasn't Tracy. <laughs> But praise God, the woman had a sense of humor, and she knew Tracy, and she took it to be a compliment, and all, all was well. But some people really do have a doppelganger, you know, somebody who looks just like them. Uh, there's this story about these two men in Britain, uh, John Jemison and Neil Richardson. And Neil had been a, a teacher, a religion teacher, and he actually became a priest in the Church of England. That's what they call their pastors. And he and his wife retired to this little town called Braintree, which is northeast of London. He liked the town all right, but people kept calling him by the wrong name. They would see him and they would say, hey, John, how you been? You know, it got so bad one time he was at a restaurant and the manager insisted that he was John Jemison. He said, you're trying to play a trick on me. And Neil had to get out his driver's license to prove he was Neil, not this John fella. And then randomly... Uh, actually, Neil said, he has a good sense of humor. He said, it really made me curious to meet, to meet this man. I thought, he must be a rather good-looking fella. <laughs> they randomly signed up for a, a field trip. Um, the Friends of the Braintree Museum created a trip to the Magna Carta exhibition at the British, British Museum. Who else would sign up for such an exciting day? Well, Neil Richardson signed up, and it turned out so did John Jemison. Neil was sitting on the bus waiting for everyone to board uh, so that they could head out when all of a sudden he saw himself get on the bus. And as the man came down the aisle, he stopped and he said, I I'm so sorry, but are you, are you John Jemison? And John said, yes, what have I done now? <laughs> and, and, his, and then John Jemison's wife said, oh my gosh, John, this man looks just like you. <laughs> They went on to talk about their lives and, and about this, the crazy coincidences. It turned out they're about five years apart in age, but they had actually gone to the same college and studied the same subjects. They both taught religion. Neil became a principal of a school, a headmaster of a school, and Neil became a priest. They both loved to sing in choirs. They both banked at the same bank and had identical-looking debit cards. They both had sons who played the didgeridoo. Random, right? A few years after they met and they had sprung up this friendship, their um, British TV actually did a documentary on the idea of doppelgangers and they featured these two men. And the, they had a geneticist use face mapping techniques to see how similar they really looked. And they came up with a 90% match, which is the kind of match you only get with identical twins usually. You wanna see their, your pic their picture, are you curious? Okay, so here is one of them. I, I think this is John. It might be Neil. I, I get them confused. And then here's the other one. You see, they really do look quite alike. They did all their genealogical due diligence, and they are not one bit related. They don't have a relative in common at all. 
but they sure do look alike. Look at this series of pictures that they've posted. They just really do favor one another. The similarity of their appearance, it confused the people of their community, you know, the people of Braintree, England. When Neil moved to town, they thought that he was John and they asked him all sorts of questions. And like I said, once he even had to prove that he was Neil and not John. In today's gospel reading, religious leaders send investigators out to figure out who John the Baptist is or who he thinks he is. It must be Advent <laughs> because we must be getting ready for Jesus to come because last week our scripture was John the Baptist and this week our scripture is John the Baptist. He helps us get ready. He helps prepare the way. In our gospel reading today, the religious authorities send investigators to ask John, exactly who are you? I mean, John the Baptist is sort of this odd fellow, and he's out there doing some odd things. He's doing things that are really making people talk. So the investigators come to him and they say, who are you? They ask him over and over again, but they seem to learn very little. They seem to know less with each question, not more. If you've ever had to endure giving a witness statement or worse, a deposition, maybe you can relate to what John is going through with these folks. When I practiced law, I took a lot of depositions. A deposition is where you have a lawyer for each side and you have a witness and you have a court reporter and you sit in a room and the lawyers ask questions and the court reporter types everything up and when the deposition is over, the lawyers buy the transcript from the court reporter and they use it as evidence. They use the witness's words as evidence. And there, there are a lot of reasons to take a deposition. Sometimes you just want to get somebody on the record. Uh, the primary reason is to collect evidence, to gather facts, to get the information you need to understand the case. That's what the religious leaders were trying to do in the gospel today. The good church folks, they're trying to collect evidence and gather facts and get the information they need to understand who John the Baptist is. Okay. When I was a lawyer, I loved asking people questions. It never bothered me to ask the same question over and over again, because guess what? I was getting paid by the hour. <laughs> so I could just ask the same questions until, you know, especially if it was something someone didn't want to answer. You just keep asking. Eventually, they will usually answer. Believe it or not, I actually had an opposing counsel give me a nickname. Now, we don't normally do this in North Florida. We're quite genteel. We're quite collegial, uh, the lawyers who practice here. But this fella, bless his heart, he, he was from Miami. You know how they are, Bill. And, <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, Beth, you're nothing but a bulldog. And I don't think he meant it as a compliment. I think he was trying to say I was like a dog with a bone. And I was like, I'm going to turn that into a compliment. You're right. I sure am. <laughs> and I won that case, by the way. In today's gospel reading, the investigators ask John over and over again, who are you? And John is like, well, I, I'm not I, me. I'm just me. I'm definitely not the Messiah. And they're like, okay, we know that. The Messiah is going to come in like a blaze of glory. We know you're not the Messiah, but are you Elijah? No, no, I'm just me, he says. 
Are you the prophet? I ask. No, no, he says. Well, then who are you? Or maybe what they're really saying is, well, then who the heck do you think you are out here baptizing people? What are we supposed to tell our bosses, the good church folks? John says, let me tell you who I am. I am the voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He says, I'm just out here trying to help people get ready. To tell you the truth, the Messiah is already among you. You just don't recognize him. You don't see him for what and who he is. John says, I'm nothing compared to him. I'm not even worthy to touch his shoelace. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But like the people confronting John, sometimes we don't recognize Jesus. Sometimes we don't see how God is at work. We can almost hear John saying, the Messiah is already among you. You just have failed to see him, to recognize him, to notice him. It is so easy to see the trouble in this world. It really is. We carry the news with us in our pockets these days, right, on our phones. And when I say news, I really mean bad news, because usually the news is bad news, a school shooting, an act of racial terror, a war in Israel-Palestine, a war in Ukraine. I read on Reuters this week that there have been more than 500,000, more than half a million casualties in the Ukraine war. More than half of them are Russian soldiers. They've, they've taken very heavy losses. And actually, at the end of that article, you know how at the end of the article, there are always links to other things that they want, to, want you to read? And this was the first one. Tyler, I don't know if you can zoom in on that at all, but the headline is Six French Teenagers Convicted in Connection with 2020 Beheading of Teacher. You might remember that case from France in 2020. A 47-year-old history teacher was leaving school when he was attacked, stabbed, and decapitated by an 18-year-old boy. The murderer was shot and killed by police, but this week, according to this article, his six co-conspirators were convicted. And next year, some of the adults in their lives will go on trial because these folks were all teenagers when this happened. A teacher decapitated because a handful of people didn't like what he was teaching in an ethics class, a class that by definition has to stretch you beyond your comfort limit, a class where you need to be challenged and invited to think about challenging things. And it happened in France, right? Home of the revolution that gave us democracy. That is bad news. We might rightly ask, God, where were you? <laughs> where were you as this teacher, Samuel Paty, was being decapitated for doing his job? Maybe his family asked that exact question. My faith tells me that God was right there with the teacher, feeling the blows and the terror, just like Jesus felt it on the day he was crucified. My faith tells me that God was with him and that in the divine heart, there was sadness and lament for the ways humanity chooses to use free will. My faith tells me that God was with the victim 
bringing the peace that passes understanding despite the assault and the terror. My faith tells me that Jesus Christ came to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty and release, to proclaim the jubilee of God's favor. I can imagine, though, that for some people, the fact that bad things happen to seemingly good people is simply proof that God isn't real or that God isn't real enough to matter. We expect God to show up in certain ways. And when we don't recognize God at work, we think God is absent or non-existent. The people questioning John the Baptist in today's gospel reading, they had no idea the Messiah was actually present, actually in town, in Bethany. John says, the Messiah is already among you. You just don't recognize him. You don't see him for who and what he is. I'm nothing compared to him. I'm not even worthy to touch his shoelace. John the Baptist knew people wouldn't recognize the Messiah. So he was out there helping them get ready, helping them to be prepared to see the truth. He was making a way in the wilderness. When John is asked to identify himself, he replies, I am a voice. I am a voice. John isn't a free agent who can just speak for himself. He is called to testify to the light. John the Baptist is John the witness. And like any witness, he can only testify to what he knows. He can't just make stuff up. That's not how being a witness works. He points us to the coming incarnation of God's saving love. And John tells us how to get ready, how to get ready for that coming. Think about your own life. You know about God because someone was a witness to you. Someone told you about the real presence of God in the world. Someone told you about how God was real to them. That's how God reveals God's self, is through witnesses. And that, that communication always comes from God to us, you know? Even when we're curious and we're out there, we're seeking out the Lord, it's because God is drawing us in. We learn about God through other witnesses. And whoever has witnessed to you in your life, whether it was a grandparent or a parent or a friend or a Sunday school teacher, they were sent by God to prepare the way for you, just like John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way. Somebody had to love Jesus enough, had to love you enough to take time to tell you the story, to live and walk in the light so that you were attracted to it. How did you get in to church anyway, right? What brings you here exploring the mystery of the incarnation? You're here because someone who was sent from God told you the truth about Christ. Someone became a witness to the best news you'll ever hear. Somebody had to be your John the Baptist. Somebody had to be a witness who pointed your gaze, not at themselves, but at the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the light. 
if someone had not been a witness to you, or if many someones had not been witnesses to you, you would still be in the dark. In the midst of the bad news of this world, we get the good news of Advent. Surprise! God is coming into the world as one of us in order to save us all. And now, having heard the story and experienced, oh, there goes my earring. Having heard the story and experienced God in your life, you are called to be a witness. You are called to be someone else's John the Baptist. You're called to be a voice in the wilderness of this world, pointing not at yourself, but beyond you to the way, the truth, and the life that saves. That's what today's gospel reading and the voice invite us to do as we stand on the threshold of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. We're called to not only witness about Christmas, what's going to happen, what we're going to celebrate on December 25th, we're called to be witnesses to all that we have seen and heard God do in our lives. We're called to testify to the reality of God at work in this world and the gift we have been given. We can testify. We can testify that Jesus isn't someone we've made up, but someone who we know personally. We can testify that the gospel isn't just too good to be true, that the gospel is, in fact, true. We can testify that the good news of Jesus is not something that comes from within us, but is testimony to something that has come from beyond us. You know, nothing about being a Christian makes us better than anyone else. That's not what being a Christian is about. Being a Christian just means we've already heard the good news, right? That voice in the wilderness has reached us. Someone who was sent from God, who told us and tells us what God has done, is doing and will do among us. That news has gotten to us. We've heard the news. We know what Advent is all about. And now we get to participate by being a voice in the wilderness to others. In order to witness to Jesus, John the Baptist, John the witness, he had to know who he was and who he wasn't. He had to know what God wanted him to do, and he had to know the Messiah. He had to know who he was talking about. And that's true for us, too. In order to witness to Jesus, we have to know ourselves. We have to know what God wants us to do. We have to know the Messiah. So what is the God story of your life? How has God been present? How has God been with you? How do you see God at work in your life even now? In what ways do you hope to experience God in the future? When you know your God story, then you have a story to share with others. You've got a story to tell. In our community, in our world, in our country, for sure, we have a generation or two that hasn't inherited church. You know, they didn't learn from the generation before them about why weekly worship was important or the value of community and fellowship. And it's not just that we haven't passed on church, but in a lot of cases, we haven't passed on the good news of Jesus Christ. So there are a whole lot of people in this world who are living incomplete lives because 
There hasn't been a voice to tell them how valuable they are to God. They haven't heard yet how beloved they are by God. They think that being a, bit, a good person is good enough because they think it's all about them. They don't understand that their lives point to someone greater than themselves. How have you experienced the power, love, and grace of the Almighty in your life? When people say to you what they said to John the Baptist, when they say to you, who are you? Who are you? How will your answers point them to God? John, the witness, knows he's not the Messiah. Yes, God is using him in a mighty and powerful and important way, but he is not the Messiah. And John knows why he's there. He knows what God wants him to do. He's there to be the voice of one crying out into the wilderness that the Messiah is here. You too. John the Baptist wasn't the Messiah, but he was announcing the arrival of that long-awaited one. He was a herald of hope. You too. John offers a glimmer of hope. And remember, a glimmer of hope is like a glimmer of light. The more darkness there is, the easier it is to see. The more it stands out. So when you look at the trouble of this world, know that your little glimmer of hope it stands out against all of the darkness. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. You too, you can testify to the light. Collectively, we do that as a congregation in some really wonderful ways. We do that when we give a gas card to somebody who stops by the church and needs some assistance. We do that when we take food to Echo, or we buy a bicycle for a refugee, or we participate in the missions of the United Methodist Church, or we support local um, nonprofits, or we support the children's home. We do that when we we testify to the light of God when we open up our building to other congregations to come and experience the kingdom of God here. Those actions testify to the light. You do that for each other by showing up on even a very rainy, stormy day to be here in worship. You are bringing the light. We're a small church. Praise God. You know what they say is true? Good things come in small packages. Yeah. Your generosity, warmth, love, hospitality, it's all a testimony to the light. Collectively, we can be a voice in the wilderness, letting people know that they are so beloved by God and so worthy of God's love. We can do that together, and we can each do it individually. The religious leaders asked John, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not, but let me tell you about him. John wasn't worthy to untie the thong of Jesus' sandal. All he could do was testify to point to the greatest one, to the one who is light from light, true God from true God. John the Baptist seems to the Jewish leaders like, maybe he is Elijah. 
Maybe he is the prophet. Maybe he is the Messiah. They're, they're very confused. In a way, John is like Jesus's doppelganger. He's not Jesus, but he looks like Jesus to those who encounter him. That is the task for us, to look like our Jesus. John says he's not the one, he only testifies to the one. You too, your actions and your words point others to the one who has come to save us all. But go ahead, try to be a Jesus doppelganger. Amen.